Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Clean Tech, a roundup of the week's biggest stories you need to know in climate and clean energy in 15 minutes or less. Today is Friday, December 1st, 2023. I'm Renewable Energy World Editor-in-Chief John Engel. We'll have Jennifer McDermott from the Associated Press joining us shortly, but for now I'm joined as always by clean tech PR veteran and just good all-around guy Mike Casey of TigerCon. <laughs> hey, Mike. Hello, Mr. Engel. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. Ohio was wonderful. Um, it gave me some sickness, but otherwise a, a good good trip and spend some time with family. How about yourself? Uh, I don't know if it makes us noble or foolish, but my wife, son, and I uh, split roughly 1,200 pieces of firewood from uh, tree stumps we had lying on the property and stacked them all. My forearms have not recovered, but my wife assures me that I will not be getting tossed out so I won't have to crash on your couch this weekend. That's, that's very good news. Yeah, that's very good news. Um, we hope all of you had a good holiday as well and enjoyed the break, and we are back and ready to go. So we want to thank you for submitting your story recommendations and your recommendations for um, Clean Tech of the Week. So make sure you send those in to This Week in Clean Tech at tigercom.us, and we always have that in the episode description as well. So with that, let's talk about our Clean Tech of the Week, Mike. This week's Clean Tech of the Week is Lisa Jacobson, the head of business counsel for sustainable energy nominated by Peter Kelly from Renewcom. At uh, at each COP, she leads a group of clean tech CEOs to the negotiations, along with helping them be heard and benefit from the experience. And at COP28, Lisa has representatives from over 35 companies and organizations in Dubai with her. So congratulations to our clean techer of the week, Lisa Jacobson. And COP, as we record right now, is just getting started in earnest, I believe, Mike. Yes, and congrats, Lisa. Been a fan of yours for a while. So cool to see you get this shout out. What an endorsement, too. Lisa must be riding high. She's a cop, and now she's got Mike Casey uh, gassing her up. No, no pun intended. All right. You want to get started? All right. Number one, we're actually going to do something a little bit different this week. So far, mm-hmm. all the stories that have made the top five have been because they've been good, important pieces of journalism. Not the case with this one. We'll be talking about what can only be described as a hit piece written by editorial and columnist Kimberly Strassel from the Wall Street Journal entitled The Biden Energy Slush Fund. John, what do you think of this piece? Yeah, clean energy always has kind of a tricky relationship with the Wall Street Journal, doesn't it? Um, Essentially, Strassel is bashing the DOE's loan programs office, which was set up to fund innovative and potentially transformative clean energy initiatives that might otherwise struggle to get financing. In her piece, she focuses on the few bets that didn't pan out. You may know one of those names that uh, loves to get thrown around anytime this conversation comes up with Solyndra, Um, and then glosses over all the positives that come out of the program as well. But overall, the investments have actually done quite well. 
got their money back with interest. It is telling that she brings up uh, Fisker Automotive, but makes no mention of the fact that an LPO loan played a critical role in allowing Tesla to become the $700 billion juggernaut that it is today, in addition to the recent bets, which are pretty ho-hum, like giving Sonova $3 billion to underwrite loans, like uh, not the not the sexiest uh, technology advancement there. Um, she does then go on to suggest that LPO director Jigger Shaw is using the funds for illicit purposes without presenting any proof, something that uh, Republicans in Congress like to bring up as well. Mike, what do you think? Well, let's start with the good news. Uh, Ms. Strassel's screaming from the journal's editorial pages has now officially made the term fossil fuel bros a gender-neutral label. That's that's a good thing, right? We'll take the win here. But Ms. Strassel seems to be stumbling around amidst the ideological equivalent of an ayahuasca ceremony in which inconvenient reality doesn't seem to exist. You'll see in Ms. Strassel's world, it doesn't matter that 97% of climatologists say climate destruction poses a grave risk to our kids or that the loan program has a 98% success rate, or that it's Jigger Shaw's job to network with clean economy companies, and that Clean Tech Leader Roundtable's mission is to be a networking organization for said companies. You know, despite her professed concern about market distortions from energy policy, in the 21 years that Ms. Strassel has written these screeds for the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal, she has had the intellectual honesty to offer three words, just three that mention the century of government checks written to fossil fuel companies. That's a rate of one word every seven years. But just this fall, Ohio opened its state parks to fracking, and Texas passed a deceptive amendment that will use taxpayer money to build gas plants. So, Mr. Assel, please let us know when you're ready to move into the light of reality. We have smelling salts waiting for you. John, story number two. All right, this one's written by Alana Samuels from Time titled How Solar Sales Bros Threaten the Green Energy Transition. Mike, I won't ask you what you think of the term green energy transition, but this is a this was a pretty big story and I I sent it to you immediately when I saw it. What did you think? I think it's a real doozy. I mean, solar has a great brand with the American public, so it should not stand by while these knuckleheads lie to consumers in the name of this industry with high-pressure deceptive sales tactics. I'm going to just respectfully suggest to our friends at the associations to consider advocating policies to impose really strong penalties, including jail time for these unregulated clowns. Letting these practices continue poses a grave long-term market threat itself. That's not counting for the near certainty that the gas industry is going to weaponize these problems to damage solar standing with the American homeowner. John, I know you had thought about this because you had an experience with one of these shysters this week right at your own door. Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. But I say repeatedly on this show and others that the resi segment is so important. It's important to everyone in our industry, whether you're doing utility scale or some other technology, because that is our touch point with the voting public. And if we have bad interactions there, we're disingenuous in those interactions, then that's going to impact and permeate throughout the sector. So uh, don't neglect resi and think that it's, you know, just involving people who want solar panels on their roofs. So I saw this time story. I sent it to you immediately. Within a couple of hours, I get the knock on the door and, you know, we've all gotten them, the door-to-door solar guys, typically young guys who look around college age, usually very nice interaction. It eventually leads to saying that I'm in the industry, blah, 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 blah. This one started out particularly interesting, and I'm not going to name the company yet because I've reached out to them for comment, but he starts off by saying, 
hey, I'm with blank, a full-service local utility. I'm in North Carolina. I know my only full-service local utility is Duke, and there's no competition in the utility space, so there's one. And then I, I go, who, who are you with? A full-service local utility. And he goes on and on, and, and I ask him, and he points to his, his badge on his waist as if to insinuate that he's a utility worker going door-to-door. And his line was, I've been sent out here to let people know that the grid has been struggling lately, and they're recommending that people consider solar to, to help secure their power supply. And then I, I, I stop him and I explain you know, what I do for a living and say, you know, this story just came out and I'm getting ready to talk about it on a podcast, but it's, <laughs> it's incredibly misleading for you to position yourself in any way, shape or form as a utility and then go on to, to talk about these problems because people who don't know better will believe you. And this story even talks about the misrepresentation of, hey, I'm with the utility or I've got this partnership with the utility or this is what the utility wants. And I tried to inform him of that and then reached out to his higher ups. But that was my experience. And, and um, I, I was so caught off guard that I, I called you immediately, <laughs> Mike. So <laughs> ch- check out the story. There's a lot in there. It's really important. We only got 15 minutes to get through all these, these topics. So uh, I'll move on to you, Mike, for the third one. But yeah, it was, it was an incredible moment. You bet Richard Millard and Tom Wilson from the Financial Times has a story titled BP pays 254 million pounds to take full control of solar joint venture light source. John, your thoughts? Yeah, BP has been navigating the, the clean energy landscape for a while now, and this move signals a significant step in their transition strategy. So back in 2017, BP first bought a 43% stake in light source, um, bought 7% more two, two years later, and now they're going all in. LightSource was founded in 2010, operates globally 8.4 gigawatts of solar capacity and over 55 gigawatts in their pipeline. They installed 622 megawatts of solar in the U.S. last year, second only to Silicon Ranch at the utility scale level. Um, The acquisition involves an initial payment of 245 million uh, pounds for 50% stake of LightSource BP that it doesn't already own. I think it's good news, Mike, um, you know. A lot of criticism to the oil majors for doing the kind of placating uh, to, you know, climate observers and clean energy advocates. But I think this is good. It's a real investment. Yeah, I'll note that while LightSource BP North America is a client of ours, we were not involved in this announcement. Uh, However, we thought the story was big enough to make this week's list for several reasons. First, I think it's we've we on this show and elsewhere have often talked about what will be the real role of the oil majors in the clean energy transition it's safe to say that among them bp is the clean energy leader among the oil majors and light source is a serious utility scale solar player on both sides of the atlantic so that's what made this move intriguing to us it's yes we have to acknowledge the skepticism from scientific and environmental circles i think despite differences of opinion in a few years we're all going to have a much more clearer look um and data set i'll just quote now uh from bp's announcement because it's giving every indication that it's serious about solar quote we will continue to scale the successful business and also apply its capabilities and expertise to help meet BP's growing demand for low carbon power from our transition growth engines, end quote. John, our fourth story. All right, our fourth story comes from Sammy Roth from the LA Times. It's a big one, but I'm going to let you just tackle it, Mike, for the sake of time so we can get to Jennifer. But this is uh, the Salton Sea has even more lithium than we previously thought. New report finds. 
What did you think? Big, st- big story in the con- in the context of concerns about lithium supply chains. The Salton Sea could be lying on top of a lithium treasure trove up to 18 million metric tons, the equivalent of 382 million EV batteries. For context, the U.S. doesn't even have 300 million vehicles in its entire vehicle fleet right now. This is not just about EVs. It's about meeting the demand for clean energy storage for homes and businesses. And it's a, it's going to be a really big deal. And with that, I'm going to pivot over to our fifth story. That's Jennifer McDermott's piece from Associated Press. It's entitled, New Google Geothermal Electric Project Could Be a Milestone for Clean Energy. Jennifer, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. You bet. Um, for those listeners who have not read the story yet, what's its number one takeaway in your view? So I think the number one takeaway was just really how this could be a turning point for geothermal. Up until now, it's really been limited to certain geographies. And um, that is something Fervo and Google partnered to to solve, to be able to drill deeper, drill horizontally, to show that you could do geothermal in, in far more places. And so that's what they did with this project in Nevada. And Jennifer, I understand that this is the first enhanced geothermal project that's been deployed in the U.S., and it's still an economically challenging uh, clean energy development. And so I, I imagine that the the partnership with Google is incredibly significant for Fervo, for the technology to advance. Did You, you cover this space really closely, but what sense did you get um, from the, the Fervo for folks, Google folks, into the significance of that partnership and maybe what that tells the rest of corporate America when we talk about tackling these really hard problems. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was a strong focus on both sides. I mean, I think Google was really looking to signal that the demand is there and that is that helped Fervo um, get its technology, you know, literally off the ground and do this project, which they're using to really as a springboard to their much larger project in Utah. So um, really the ability of these large corporate players to step in, signal a, a demand for clean energy and help advance it that much faster. Jennifer, is there any thought on how this one development will boost or not the total ability for geothermal to contribute to the U.S. electricity generation? Well, this project is relatively small. It's roughly 3.5 megawatts. Um, but like I mentioned, uh, Fervo is already working on its, its next project. It's 100 times larger. It's in Utah and um, really going, you know, full steam ahead. And um, I've talked to other geothermal companies that are um, looking at similar time frames, looking at having power plants, um, you know, in the next two to five years. So I think we're really on the cusp of a turning point where we'll see a lot more geothermal companies hitting these milestones and making announcements. And right now, you're right, it is a relatively small share of U.S. electricity production. But I think in in the future, that's going to be ramping up. John, we're just about out of time. I want to thank Jennifer McDermott of the Associated Press for joining us. Brian Mendez, our great producer. And Claire, the Factor Quirin, and Alex Stauguide-Peterson for gathering our stories this week. 
Yeah, and of course, thanks again to Jennifer McDermott for joining us on this episode of This Week in Clean Tech. Please subscribe, give us feedback, and share your story suggestions. You can read all of the articles, including Jennifer's, that we discussed this week by clicking the link, uh, the links in the episode description. And Monday's episode of Factor This, uh, a one-on-one exclusive with the CEO of Dominion Energy, Bob Blue. So I got an hour with Bob Blue to talk about offshore wind, the, you know, the utilities role in the energy transition, long duration batteries, some really uh, interesting stuff that will come out of that one. So you don't want to miss that one. Mike, I'll see you next week. See you next week, my friend. Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the Interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there.